If you're the only one in your book club who wants to read books that will change your life, you need a new book club. And we think you found it. I'm Heather. And I'm Susan. And can we be the first to say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. We're back with the family of Noah, which is where we left off last episode. And this idea that they've been on the ark, but I want to talk about water for a second, because really it all started with water. Only the first time that the world started with water, remember back in Genesis one, it was a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. God was creating the world and there was water and he was hovering over the water. But fast forward now they're on the ark. Noah and his family are on the ark and the water has covered the land because God needs a restart. Yes. (laughs) The other cool thing, Heather, is that in the flood, God saves this one righteous man, but many die. Where we look forward to the cross and we're going to see that one righteous man dies and God saves many. So again, we're going to, there's a lot of similarities and a lot of nuances to this, but never again is God going to uh, wash the earth clean of, of people like well, work. I'm, I'm getting so ahead don't of the worry. chapter. He's <laughs> not going to flood the earth. He's not going to flood the earth again. We won't all day. It's just a little rainstorm. Right, right. Even if it's a hurricane. So when we left off, we were in Genesis 8, 19, and we're going to continue with 8, 20 and go into half of chapter nine for good reason. You'll see, because um, we're going to finish up with this whole arc thing today that the arc is going to dock. And then we're going to see Noah's response and God's response. And those are the two big things we're kind of going to analyze because they're very important. So first, the ark is going to dock on the mountains of Ararat. Now, where is Mount Ararat? Well, in the show notes, we have a map of modern and ancient Middle East from my fave, the Holman Bible Atlas. And the mountains of Ararat are located kind of today on the border of Turkey and Armenia. And you will you will see this in there and know that going forward for much of Genesis, we're going to be kind of covering that fertile crescent. We're going to have another map of that in the future. But we're, we're really in such a small portion of the world in the entire of Genesis that you'll really get used to these as we add maps where we are and 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 how this all came about. Now, I think I've mentioned before the ark was never found, but you know my theory is if you had all that good lumber after a flood that's still kind of dry, you're going to you're going to take that lumber apart and you're going to use it. Why would he just leave the ark up there when think about it, all the other trees have either been killed or, you know, are soggy. So, I don't think they're ever going to find that ark and it doesn't really bother me. Uh, in the last episode, we did cover what Noah did and what God did before the flood. And like I said, we're going to look today at what the response is after the flood. So first, Noah's response. I want us to think about that. Let's So we don't know much about Noah. He doesn't talk, you know, but let's try to dig into their state of mind and ponder that because I think it's really important. This was a, you know, this was a big deal what happened. So what had they been through in a year in the ark? You know, first, remember, God shut them in. They didn't close the door. And, and think about that probably for a good reason, because if that door was so heavy or so cumbersome or whatever, 
remember, they couldn't open the door up and try to save their extended family and friends. This was something God did. He's, you just have to get on. I'm going to get the animals on. And he shuts the door. Well, if I knew I was going to have to spend a whole entire year inside an ark, I would have never shut (laughs) that door to begin with. (laughs) And truthfully, I might be a little panicked shutting that door. Like, could he have been able to do it? Because we know Noah's father and grandfather had died. But what about aunts and uncles and cousins? And what about their wives' families? You know, the the brothers are all there with Noah, his three sons. But we have wives on there who have extended family. And did God shut them in because he knew it would be too hard or too tempting to reopen it? That would have been horrible decisions to have to make. I would not have been calm. I would have been spiraling out. So, of course, this is just us trying to ponder the state of their mind. You know, would they have felt guilty if they closed the door? Maybe God closed it for that reason. We really don't know. But I just want to crawl into their heads. What had this been like? We talk all the time about PTSD from traumatic things. They certainly, this was a traumatic event in their life. So then think about it rained for days. I, so they, they get on, they get shut in. They know now as they see this rain come down and the boat start to lift that this is true, you know, cause I would have been kind of hoping it wasn't true what God told me <laughs> and that probably all their friends and family have died. And, and I think at that point, my uh, anxiety would have just turned to weeping and grieving and really the comprehension of it, uh, the comprehension of it all would have been just, I can't imagine. Thinking. Well, and if you think about it too, it's all these dreary days. Because rain, it's raining it's just like their happy. tears. Yeah, no, it's it. So then, think about it. The water recedes for days, and I just wonder, in the period of time that that happened, as the water began to dry, did their tears also? You know, was this their time of reconciling in their hearts and mind all that happened? Was this the period where you know God began to start to gently turn their hearts toward the future and help ease their memory of what they? lost in the past because then they waited more. There was more waiting. And then they removed the cover of the ark. And perhaps this is the turning point when maybe optimism started to take root. Like we did survive. God has a plan for us. And as much as we can't understand what happened in the past, and I don't know if you've ever lost anybody to cancer or something that was unexpected early in life or whatever, you do kind of go through this grieving phase of, you know, just overwhelming sorrow, not understanding sometimes even anger with God. And then sometimes that turning of your heart happens when, when you realize that God's goodness and his plan are, are what is real. And while we don't understand, we have to move forward. And did they start to begin to dream of building a house, of having children, of planting a garden again? And then the final day came. And as that door opened and that kind of aroma of, you know, wet earthy mud is what, you know how when it rains and you go outside and there's that smell and it hit him for the first time in a year. I wonder what they were thinking. Like, would you be afraid? Would you be, it must have been just overwhelming. Well, I could could make another parallel here because we already made the parallel between the two times that the waters Mm -hmm. and the parallel between Noah being saved and Jesus saving all the rest of us. But when we're recording right now, we've already come through, all of us have come through 2020. And you may be listening to this a little later than that, but here's where we are right now. We're we're in 2021. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Listen to this later and and you'll know. But right now, here we are. We've all come through 2020. So I almost feel like this is almost the feeling where they've been on the ark a year. We went through a whole Mm -hmm. year of COVID and now there seems to be this light at the end of the tunnel. That's where we are right now. And people Mm -hmm. are starting to get vaccinated Mm -hmm. and we're in this place where it's like, okay, we can live again. 
again. Right. And that might be how they're feeling. Okay. Hopeful. I think but times still 10. kind of scared yeah. because we don't know what's going to happen. What are we going to find when that what will it opens look like? back up? What yeah. will it look like? It's going to be different, but what will it look like? Well, I don't know how you would have responded, but this gave me a lot to think of. This is how Noah responds starting in chapter eight, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Okay, so let's talk about this attitude of Noah's heart. Obviously, this is the first altar sacrifice that we know of. Uh, And let's kind of do a quick review of where we've been on the subject of sacrifices, because it's going to be a major portion of the Old Testament going forward. In Genesis 3, remember, evil entered the world and God really makes that first sacrifice. He covers Adam and Eve's nakedness with animal skins. Therefore, animals had to be killed and blood was shed. Genesis 4, Cain and Abel offered sacrifices uh, that were for worship. It was just supposed to be the first fruits of what they had received by God's bounty, you know, uh, and Abel's was pleasing and Cain's was not. Then we have this Genesis 8. Well, what is this sacrifice of animals? Worship? Probably not quite atonement yet, but we're going to get to atonement because I want to define that now as we go forward, we're going to see it. So we know what worship is, obviously. It's a gratefulness of heart toward the Lord and worshiping him as the one in control of all the goodness that we have. And clearly, no, that's a correct response for Noah. He just has come through something traumatic and he realized that God has chosen him uh, to, to carry forth the human race and what a blessing that is. You know, and that's an interesting observation, too, because a lot of times throughout the Bible, there are people who in the moment when some of us might turn into sorrow, they actually worship. And I Mm -hmm. think all the time, would that be my response? Would my first inclination be to worship? Right. And can we pull ourselves up out of the grieving and loss to worship for where we are? It's a great example. So what is that sacrifice of animals? Worship or atonement? Well, in this case, it might be a little bit of both. So let's kind of look at this. The way it reads, it sounds like Noah's worshiping, but atonement by definition is reparation for a wrong. And Noah just left this sinful generation. So it could be that God in this is teaching him atonement. So, well, and also they don't, they haven't had the word from Moses hadn't, hasn't had the 10 commandments yet, or any of the kinds of things that God laid out what they're supposed to do with offerings. Right. Yet. He, he's just doing this because he knows what he's supposed to do. Right. And we don't know how much the Lord is laying that upon his heart. But let's kind of review this. So if by definition, atonement is a reparation for a wrong, we know that wrong or sin started in Genesis 1 when evil entered the world. So God's plan throughout the Bible is to rid the world of that evil. That's his plan. We got to go back to paradise. We got to go back to the order that God created. However, the evil inclination of man's heart is in every man's heart. And that would mean he would have to rid the world of all of us. 
which of course he just promised Noah he would not do. And because he promises Noah that he would not destroy the humans, there has to be a substitute. Something else has to happen. And there need we need a substitute, a reparation for our sin. So the animal, the sacrifice of an animal symbolically dying is in place of the evil heart that we have. Does that make sense? Yeah. The, every inclination, he says, of the heart, but not the people themselves, not what he made is evil, just only the inclination because of the sin. Correct. So the animal symbolically dies in the place of man. The animal is the reparation for man's wrong, or like we defined, it's the atonement for that wrong. And it becomes symbolic to the man. So here's a symbol to the man. So every time men going forward have to atone for their sins, it reminds them of God's justice for the evil that that man commits over and over. And it reminds them of God's grace for providing a way other than their own death. Yeah, and I don't want to miss something either, because back in verse 21, it's the Lord smelled the aroma and he said this in his heart that he's never going to do. When he smelled it, when he saw the offering and he realized that Noah was worshiping him, he realized the story of the ark is actually really dark. And he he is not this God that is raining down judgment on us. He's this God who really has a lot of care and concern and empathy for us. I love this because you, we, what, this is a perfect example of what we just read. Noah has the right heart attitude when he makes this sacrifice. He is thinking of what he's doing. And because of it, unlike Cain, you remember who had a bad attitude, it is pleasing to God. And you sense the reconciliation between man and God. God responds. Yes, he responds and there's peace and it's pleasing. And we know if God is pleased, there is a good feeling in the air. You know, it just had to be beautiful. It had to be such a relief to know his family. And now I want to point forward again. This happens over and over and over. And the Jewish people develop this symbolic again in the temple and going forward all the way to the New Testament of atoning for sin through sacrifice. And like I said, it was a reminder of God's justice and God's grace until God provides the perfect sacrifice to end all sacrificing and atones for our sins once and for all with the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. And this is why he is called the lamb of God. Remember, it had to be a clean animal when they sacrificed. It had to be a pure animal. Jesus is that representation of mankind that is perfect and clean. And that is why he can be sacrificed for all of our sins. And this whole symbolism of sacrificing is pointing us toward Christ way back here in Genesis 8. And if you're wondering where Susan is getting this from, it's because she's read the whole book cover to cover. And she knows that that's what God's plan eventually is. But at this point in the story, you don't know that. You wouldn't know that had you not. Yeah. And it's not because I've read the book. It's like, because I've sat under a lot of great teachers before me. A lot of people have read the book. (laughs) I read those commentaries. Exactly. All right. Uh, There was a verse that I wanted to introduce here, um, just referring to Jesus being the lamb. And it's when John the Baptist says in 129. John 129. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we're going to read throughout the Old Testament that evil will still persist 
persist no matter how many sacrifices are made. Atonement with animals was the temporary solution for that. And God knew it in the beginning. He knew what the permanent solution was. Even way back in Genesis 1, He was Jesus was there with him. And he said in chapter 3, verse 14 at the fall. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl in your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, humanity, and between your offspring and hers, Jesus, he, Jesus, will crush your head, defeat you, and you will strike his heel, wound to pierce. We've, this thread is all throughout the Bible. Jesus Christ was the answer, even in the beginning. The permanent solution that God in his mercy and grace had planned for us way before mankind went further down this dark path. It was always Jesus. Noah responded here with gratitude for saved lives. And our response should be gratitude gratitude for saved lives through Jesus Jesus Christ. Yes. And that's how we worship by thanking God. Thank you. Thank you that you provided a way for me. Just as Noah said, thank you that you provided a way for me. All right. How do we sacrifice and show this gratitude? I love this verse, Hebrews 13, 15, because it is super clear. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. How simple is that? We don't have to sacrifice for atonement, but we need to sacrifice with praise. And I like that he says continually offer. Continually offer and share it with others. All right, that was Noah's response. Let's take a look at God's response. Verse 21, again, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. This is how God responds with a covenant by promising this small chosen group of people that he will never again destroy all the living creatures. This is the first of four covenants in the Old Testament. Every single one of them is a promise of partnership between God and people. God makes promises and asks people to fulfill certain commitments. So God makes a covenant is super simple. It's God making a promise and asking people to make a commitment. So this first one is with Noah. There's another one with Abraham. There's another one with the Israelites. And there's another one with David. We're going to cover in Genesis the first two, the the Noahic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. So there is only one covenant in the New Testament, four in the old, one in the new. All of the Old Testament covenants are broken, not by God, by the people, which is why the prophets talked about a day when God would create a new covenant, one that would restore their relationship with God. The new covenant was fulfilled by Jesus. So here's how. Jesus fulfills all the broken covenants because he is a descendant of Abraham. So he fulfills the promise God had with Abraham and his family. He is the faithful Israelite who is able to truly obey the law. And he is the king from the line of David. He provides the way for people to be a part of the new covenant with God, which we find in Matthew 26, 27, 28. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is 
is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That was a lot what I just covered about covenants, but it is kind of a summary for anyone who's not familiar with covenants in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So just so you know, whenever you read a covenant for in the old, they're all going to be broken by the people. God makes a promise. The people commit to doing something that they don't do, which is usually obeying God and they don't do it. And then in the end, it takes Jesus to fulfill everything that they were supposed to do in the old covenants in that one new covenant. So basically God keeps his promises even yes. if we don't keep ours. Totally. And he calls it the blood of the covenant because again, it's also going to atone. So there's so much wrapped up into what Jesus did for us um, that was foretold by prophets and everything else. It just is, it's a, it's a lot. So again, we're going to, well, maybe we'll put this section in the, in the show notes too, just so people have it because it's, it's not often taught. It's kind of a broad concept. All right, let's dig into this first covenant in the Old Testament, which is called the Noah covenant. Starting in Genesis 9-1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you, just as I have given you the green plants. I now give you everything. But you must not eat the meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being, too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. All right. A lot of that should have sounded a little bit familiar. It was familiar. It was similar to what he told Adam, Adam. Eve, but not the same. Again, well, Adam, it's kind of right. like, Eve remember when we talked about how uh, God created the God created man. And then in the next chapter, he kind of dug into exactly how he cre- created man. Well, now we're, we have this kind of, again, submerged water, then we're submerged again. Now we have the, the earth has been wiped clean. And he kind of says a lot of the same things that he said to Adam, you know, hey, be fruitful and increase. And, you know, oh, but, you know, no longer will you just have dominion over the animals. They're going to fear you. They're not going to like you. You know, he has these little like other asides. But there were a couple things that I admit I did not think about. But I'm also going to cover some basics. This was your Bible bender season? I did have a Bible bender in this. And yeah, I did. But first, I want to cover the basics that are very similar to this partnership he had with Adam, you know, and he says he has really five commands in this covenant, two warnings, and then a promise. And, and that kind of the a summary of the whole overview of the whole thing. All right, let's cover the five commands in this covenant. The first is very similar, be fruitful, increase and fill the earth. That was in chapter nine, verse one, similar to Adam's command in chapter one, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
So yes, similar, but not the same. Right. Spoiler alert. In chapter 11 of Genesis, when we get there in just a few weeks, they're going to break this one really quick. All right. Second command, have dominion over animals, chapter nine, two and three, similar to 128. However, no longer a loving dominion over animals. The animals are going to have fear of man. Covenant command number three, eat plants and animals for food. That's pretty basic in nine, three. Command number four, refrain from eating blood. Interesting. That's new. Uh, and, and that there will be an accounting for every animal. Nine, five. That's interesting. I don't know what that means quite. Ref- then the last command, refrain from shedding human blood. New, but you know, we need something new after the whole Cain yeah, thing. Cain really screwed that up for everyone. <laughs> yeah. And then they got all, you know, all the people and no- all Noah's contemporaries got really, really vile. So we have this new one, refrain from shedding blood in 9.4, that there would be an accounting for human life in 9.5, and that a reminder, every human is made in the image of God and sacred in his sight. And that's from 127, just one verse prior to the one that I read earlier. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them male and female. Exactly. All right. Then we have two warnings, and and these are the two warnings of an accounting for life life in the covenant. Remember, I mentioned in command number four and five, both of them said, one said an accounting for every animal and the other said an accounting for human life. This really got me thinking because I had never really thought about this accounting section. So I kind of got a little tripped up on it. Warning one was an, an animal accounting of life in nine five. God says have dominion. He never says be cruel. Must not. Then he said must not eat meat that has life blood in it. I read so many commentaries on this. What the heck does that mean? Because we sure do that today. And and well, actually we don't. And what had happened during Noah's time that he needed to do that? So I'm just okay, going to so read. What is life blood? I'm going to read one. <laughs> Short commentary. Now you're just blowing our I minds. know. I'm going to read one short commentary that kind of summarized the whole thing for me. What, like, why did we have this? This is from Barnes. And he said, the design of this restriction is to prevent the horrid cruelty of mutilating or cooking an animal while yet alive and capable of suffering pain. Oh, Lordy. So during Noah's time, did they just get so disgusting and vile that they were literally like, I don't know they what they were doing. They them the- alive? I, we don't know. But, I, but again, what... What they're saying is if you are eating meat that has lifeblood in it, you're literally like like tearing part of the animal off and then not killing the animal. So you know what I mean? blood meaning like it's still alive. Yeah, it's still warm. I am disgusted. Blown away. I know. I know. All right. You can't see me, but my jaw's on the ground. The bottom line is God puts this new aside in there that there's going to be an accounting for if you do this. I don't Stop know what that it. we don't know what the accounting is, but there is a special bad place for people who do that kind of thing. Okay, so I'm not saying that I've ever done this because my husband has a shellfish allergy and I really don't cook any of these things. <laughs> I but know where you're going with this. Lobsters, you, you, I've always kind of felt sad about the okay. fact that you put them in that water. I hope, line. hey, do they not have blood? Maybe lobsters doesn't have blood. Crustaceans don't have blood. They don't, do they? It's really sad. Okay, don't go there. I don't want to hear it, but it's blood. But it is good lobster. Can't you, isn't there some way to kill them first? All right, the bottom line to me is we have a responsibility to treat all God's creatures with respect and care because there will be an accounting. So warning two. All right, here's where I'm going to start to spiral because now I'm on this lifeblood thing. 
There will be a human accounting of life. All right. Here's where I went with this. I get it. That's pretty clear murder. You don't murder. It's, you know, Exodus 20, commandment number six, you shall not murder. This is a theme that's carried out pretty much in every moralistic culture realizes that even if they don't believe in God, realizes that murder is wrong. But here it said there will be an accounting. Okay, that sounds ominous. Like I said, the whole accounting thing is nebulous. Uh, All right. What about war? This is me just spiraling out. Like when is bloodshed? When is bloodshed? When is when is their lifeblood? War. More complicated. Like, is there accounting for these poor soldiers, even though they don't have a choice? They have to go to war because a lot of blood is shed in war. Well, and there's wars all throughout the Bible. Uh, There's wars throughout all, you know, there's always war and the right side doesn't always win. And then, and then I've studied enough wars to know that both sides can be wrong. And so God could, there could be accounting on both sides. So again, I was, okay. You just think of it like the life review when you get there and you're standing in front of the gates with Peter and he's like, Mm -hmm. and this one, and this Mm -hmm. one, and this one. I don't know. I don't know what the accounting is. I, I know murder, clear, war, a little more ambiguous because- you have to go to war where other people are threatened. You got to defend them. What are you going to do? Just let evil pervade and, you know, people take over that like Hitler that shouldn't take over. You got to fight that. Okay. So I don't know what the accounting is on that. Maybe we All should right. ask our pastor is doing a new series and he asked for questions about heaven. Oh gosh. This yeah, is let's a, throw this a really one good question for him. <laughs> yeah. Will there be an accounting? Like? Yeah. Um, All right. This last one, really tough. Abortion. This made me so curious because there is so much controversy about whether or not an embryo has human rights. So it says in verse six here, whoever sheds human blood, you know where mine went. You know where I went. I went, hmm, well, when does an embryo have human blood? Because this is pretty clear. Human blood. All right. Easy to find. And I never thought about this. I, ne- I, I, I never thought about this in connection with this verse. So the heart and major blood vessels begin to develop by about 16 days after fertilization. 16 days. The heart begins to pump fluid through blood vessels by day 20. And the first red blood cell appears the next day on day 21. Okay, think about this. Fertilization happens in the middle of your cycle. So at 16 days, you're like just waiting for your period. You don't even know that you're pregnant yet. And on day 21, you're only a few days late. So about the time that you realize that you haven't started bleeding, the embryo has human blood. Blood, it's it's the embryo's blood. It's not the mom's blood. It can be a different blood type than yours. It's not the mom's blood. It's their blood. And it is human blood. It has every character. It's human blood. It doesn't change after you're born. It's the, the same blood you have as an embryo you have after you're born. So there you can't qualify it as anything else. All right. So this is one of the very politically charged kinds of things that a debate that we have that are in the Bible. And this is why we in read the, the Bible, Bible Book Club read every single word of the Bible so that we can look to just what does it say and know the truth ourselves. Um, I do also want to point out here that if you are listening to this and you have had an abortion at some point in your life or been in a war or been in a war (laughs) or any of these kinds of things that that would shed blood and that you feel like you might need to atone for. Um, It is okay. That is why Jesus came and he loves you. And there is still redemption 
through him and all and you have you to do. And you don't have to atone. You well, just have to ask for you forgiveness. You just have to ask, yes. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to lay anything heavy on someone who's done something, but please know there's forgiveness in everything, everything. And that's the beauty of why we worship God with, with um, thanks, because he gave us Jesus who covers all our sins. He is the blood that covers all the mistakes we make. And conversely, if you're listening to this and you have been contemplating abortion, know that in black and white in the Bible, that is against the principles of what God says not to do. And so we are going to put some things in the show notes that will help you some resources there. There are a lot of options for you. There are a lot of uh, adoption options and um, you, you do not have to go through with that. Right. All right, moving on to finish our lesson. Chapter nine, verse eight. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established with me and all life on the earth. Five commands, two warnings, and now we have this sweet one promise. God promises never again to flood the earth in verse 11. And I think it's just sweet and thoughtful that this sign of the covenant, the rainbow, I have to think he was thinking, like I mentioned, PTSD, you know, it's going to rain and I don't want Noah and his family to fear after what they've been through. So when it rains, I'm going to give this just reminder of our covenant, this rainbow, this sign of hope, this sign of peace and relationship that we have together so that they can can um, not get not get Trump triggered, you know, because of the rain and everything they've lost. Oh but, yeah, but imagine that every time it rains. Oh gosh, they probably feared. <laughs> Where's the ark? And, we, and rain, there's good in rain, and and yeah. we're gonna read in, in a little while that Noah is a man of the soil, and then mm-hmm. he starts planting things. He needs rain, but you're right. Every time it rains, could they be going? Oh, oh is like this the remember. one? You're right. So that's great that he gave him that covenant. And that is the Lord. He he is sweet and kind and um, he just knows us better than we know ourselves in so many ways. All right. My takeaway for this was God is the provider of new beginnings and whether our mistakes are big or small, nothing is too big for God and all of his plans for our future are, are for good. And that's my Bible bender too, is just that God, he cares. And even when there's a consequence and, and you might feel like, God, why are you bringing this on us, just know that God has a heart and he really has care and concern, deep care and concern and empathy for what you're going through today. Mm -hmm. What's a club without friends? 
If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. Club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.